This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. Today's reading is from Psalm 16. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood will not, will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to shale or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 16, 1 through 11. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Hey, Gene. Good morning, Emmaus. Um, <clears throat> for those of you who don't know me, I think everybody here does, but my name is Jesse Showalter. And it was funny because I was making the sermon slides this morning, and if you've watched the live stream, you know that it comes up as like Aaron Sanford, elder, or Cole Baldock, elder, or Ben Mengi. And I just wanted to have a, uh, I wanted to change it to say Jesse Showalter, which it says, but I wanted to add in the just a guy because <laughs> I don't hold any status at this church. Um, and the only reason I'm up here is because about six to eight months ago, Aaron and Bridget asked me if I wanted to preach, and I said, no, that sounds terrifying. And so they said, how does July 4th sound? And so naturally, I'm here. <laughs> but in all honesty, I am, uh, I'm anxious, so bear with me, uh, nervous, and I want to faithfully and honestly tell you about the joy that we have in Jesus and the hope that we have there um, but I also know how I often feel like a hypocrite in that because I, don't, I fail to see and to seek that joy all the time. Um, and I also realize that I'm saying um a lot, so I'll, I'll work through that. But I'm going to borrow a page from my mom, actually. A while back, she gave a talk several years ago. And uh, she started off with saying, I will list for you my qualifications just so that you know I'm qualified. And the qualifications come from 1 Corinthians <clears throat> when uh, Paul says, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. So today I'll probably be foolish, if I haven't already, uh, today, I will probably be weak, and today, I'll probably uh, be brought low. But in the next 20 to 40 minutes, depending on how fast I talk, because it could be one or the other, uh, <laughs> I hope that you will see wisdom, strength, and beauty, and majesty in the Lord and in God as we learn about the joy that we have in Jesus. So let's pray and then jump into the text. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are sovereign and thank you that you have given us your word. 
Thank you that you have given us your word to tell us about the joy that we can have in you. Thank you that through Jesus Christ, we have access to your presence, that we can know your goodness, that we can experience your blessings, and that we can enter into your very presence and know the joy that we can find there. I ask that today you would give us new eyes to see that joy, new hearts to consider who you are, your beautiful character, and point us to Jesus as he brings us into your presence. In his name we pray. Amen. So let's see if I uh, go the right way here. Nope. Is that right? Nope. We're at the end of the slides. All right, Drew, you got this. You can go to the first, uh, first slide there. It should say Psalm 16. There you go. So our scripture this morning is Psalm 16. And uh, thanks, Becca, for reading that. You did great. Uh, this psalm is known as the mictum, or a mictum of David, and it's the first time that we actually see mictum in the Bible, and there have been a lot of different translations of this. Uh, some have looked at it in the sense of Psalm 16 is a golden psalm, and it shows up in a couple of other psalms as well, uh, but they've taken that translation. Others have taken it as a, a precious jewel of a psalm, um, and still others have kind of gotten a, a hidden sense from the word, and they've described it as a hidden secret. Uh, but I like most how Charles Spurgeon describes it because he takes all three together and he says, this Psalm 16 is the psalm of the precious secret. And it kind of raises the question is, what, what is that secret? And we get hints, we get a really strong hint uh, in, uh, <clears throat> in Acts when, first, when Peter quotes this psalm and he, um, he quotes the psalm and he applies it to the death and resurrection of Jesus. And we'll get to that later. So we know from Peter that this is a psalm about the death and resurrection of Jesus. And we see David prophesying about the experience of Christ to come. And we know that all of scripture is the word of God. And so we can interpret this psalm as Jesus' mindset towards the Father as he is going through suffering. And it is, it is a psalm about suffering. So what is the secret? It's this. In Jesus, we can have joy even in suffering because of the Father's love for us. And we'll see that as we walk through three things in this psalm. First, we'll look at the goodness of the Father. Next, we'll look at the blessings of the Father. And finally, we'll see the presence of the Father and that fullness of joy that Jesus finds there. So jumping into the text, <clears throat> Psalm 16 begins with a clear and concise statement of Jesus' suffering. Verse 1. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. Nobody says this in a happy time. This is, honestly, if you like read the rest of it, you will preserve my soul, all these things. It seems like a happy psalm, but this is a psalm in suffering. Jesus isn't having a great day with his friends and uh, enjoying lovely company and great walk. Um, he's, he's in trouble. But what a humble yet accessible way to address the Father. It's humble because this is the only request of Jesus in the psalm, and in it we see a confession of his weakness and dependence upon the Father immediately. And it's accessible because how could Jesus take refuge in something he doesn't have access to? I can't take physical refuge in a locked tower that I can't get into. I can't take emotional refuge in a friend who's not present. But Jesus, knowing his relationship with his Father in this simple prayer, he states his need and enters into the presence of the Father, trusting in the goodness of the Father to meet his needs and to grant him refuge. How beautiful is that? 
And we see Jesus double down on this humility and trust in the Father's goodness. In the very next verse, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. I want to I want to focus first on the second half of that verse. Because do you believe that? We, uh, we live in Denver. There is so much good in Denver. We have adventure in the city. We have adventure in the mountains. We have beautiful things in the city. We have beautiful things in the mountains. There's all sorts of good that we have in our, day, in our days every day, in our lives every day. Um, one kind of silly example, but I enjoy bouldering. Uh, more than some, less than others. And there is a lot of good in being presented with a new route, like thinking through how I'm going to move across the route, and then feeling the flow of motion to get through it. it is, it's a rush. And it's a very different feeling than when you don't understand how to climb and you feel like you're just throwing yourself at the wall over and over again until muscle failure. And I've done both. And there's a lot of good in the former. So what does it mean in the context of something silly and mundane but really enjoyable for me as bouldering to believe that all of my good comes from the Lord? What does it mean for you in the many little mundane joys that you have every day, the little goodnesses that you have every day? Do you see these as gifts from the Father? And what would it look like to do that? But remember, we're talking about suffering here. Jesus isn't enjoying great flow in the climbing gym. Ah. <clears throat> uh, he is, he's not. But even in suffering, Jesus remembers that the Father is good to him. Look back at the first part of this verse. It says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. This is amazing um, because we see Jesus as holy God submitting to the Father as his Lord. And the two words here used for Lord are distinct. I didn't write it up there, but one of those should be all caps. Because the first Lord is the personal name of God. It's Adonai. And this is the name that Yahweh gave to his people to call him by as their personal father and savior God. And the second Lord is the generic term used for somebody in authority over you. And so Jesus in this verse is saying two things. He's at the same time laying claim to his personal access to God the Father while also submitting to the authority of God the Father. And we see this relationship especially in a time of suffering, suffering echoed in Philippians and 1 Peter. And I'm going to join these together. But Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something, something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, <clears throat> emptied himself, and humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. And when he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. On his way to the cross, Jesus trusted in the goodness of the Father because of the relationship that he has in the Father. And how could he do this except if he had practiced in all those good times, Thanksgiving, recognizing all the good that comes from the Father? You know, I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't sure if I would quote this, but there's a great quote from Jane Eyre, if you've ever read that book. Um, it's where she's standing on the precipice of Mary in Rochester, and she's like, but I know he's got another wife already, and this is bad, <laughs> but I really want to do this. And she has this great quote. She says, I will hold to the principles received by me when I was sane and not mad, as I am now. Laws and principles are not for the times when there is no temptation. They have a worth, so I have always believed. And if I cannot believe it now, it is because I am insane, quite insane. 
In a similar way, Jesus, his ability to hold on to the goodness of the Father and rejoice in that and find peace in that, and he's going to the cross. When else are his emotions going to be playing all sorts of crazy stuff with him? But it's because throughout his life, he has made a practice of recognizing the goodness of the Father and going to him over and over. So how can we do this? How can we, like Jesus, look to the Father and say, you are my personal Lord. I have access to you, and I know that you love me. And I will trust you even in suffering because I trust your judgment, and I know that all good things come from you. That's something that I struggle with, and it's not something that I naturally do. But I can practice thinking about God will bouldering <laughs> and thanking him for any goodness I feel there. But speaking of unnatural things, in the, uh, the very next verse here, what is Jesus' next thought after considering the goodness of the Lord? He turns to delight in God's people. And that's also unnatural to me. He says, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Moved by the goodness that he's seen in the Father, all I can think about is the Father's people. <clears throat> Jesus turns towards the people of God to delight in them. And this feels naturally to me because when, sorry, this feels unnatural to me because when I'm suffering, I want to withdraw from people. I have no belief that people will encourage me for the most part. I want to just kind of turtle away, deal with my problems, maybe bring the Lord into the picture a little bit if he'll help me out here, but generally just wait for time to pass and deal with it. But that's not Jesus. And if you think about this, it makes perfect sense that he would delight in the people of God. Because the saints in the land, <laughs> Jesus knows what he's doing. Jesus knows that his death and resurrection is going to work backwards and forwards David is prophesying this. The saints in the land are those people who have the same goodness from the Father, who have the same access to the Father because of what Christ has done. And just as Jesus is able to look to the Lord and say, all of my good comes from you, and I receive good from you, so do all of the saints in the land. And so if you are looking for more good from the Father in the middle of your suffering, in the middle of any time, why would you not go to the rest of his people who also receive good from the Father? That they can encourage you, you can encourage them. I mean, in this verse, what we see is the people of God imaging God as they enjoy the presence of God. That's what this is. And Jesus has opened the door for us to have that same delight in the saints as he does because of the goodness he has from the Father. But lastly in this section, we see Jesus spell out the only other option we have if we reject his people altogether. The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I shall not pour out or take their names on my lips. Outside of the goodness of God and outside of the goodness of God experienced by his community and the communion of saints, there's only sorrow and sorrow multiplied. I think of the prodigal son who took all the good he received from his father, his inheritance, and he went and he spent it until he was more worthless than pigs. And I think about the times that I try to take refuge in this world through hiking out my anxiety or alcohol or television or hard work or anything to make me feel like I have some worth 
or numb the sense of worthlessness that I may feel. And all of that just leaves me more lonely and discouraged than I was before. But in this psalm, Jesus offers us joy. And even in suffering, even after we've spent everything and feel worthless, because the Father loves us. Take it. It's free, bought for you by the blood of Christ. You have access to this because of what Jesus has done, and he delights in you. So I want to challenge you with three questions. The first is this. What does it look like for you to see all the good you experience as coming from the Lord? Jesus says this is true, and he doesn't just say, some of the good I have comes from you, but he says, all of the good. If there's something that's truly good that you're desiring, do you look to the Lord expectantly to provide it? I mean, there's the common joke of like, Jesus isn't going to cook my dinner, or Jesus isn't going to give my job presentation, or whatever. But how does his goodness come to us to bring us those things? Because it must. Jesus says it must. I mean, dinner, you got groceries, you got time, those are good things. <laughs> Get to work. <laughs> but a second question. How can you meditate on the personal access that you have to the Father? And how might that help you find joy in his presence? This is something that I struggle with a lot because I don't think inherently that I believe that God loves me. I think it's something that I struggle with a ton. Um, and because of that, I don't think I should really be in his presence. But Jesus says that he does love me. And Jesus says that we do have access to him. How will that change how you think about the Father? How will you, that change how you pray and where you find your joy if you actually believe that there is a place for you in the presence of God and he wants you there? And lastly, where can you de practice delighting in the people of God? I already said this is something that struggles, that, I, uh, that hits home for me because I don't naturally do this. I'm an introvert, but besides that, <laughs> I don't naturally do this. And I don't think that people will encourage me. And sometimes they won't. But the goodness of the Lord is for all of his people. And if I want more of that goodness, I will find it in his people, secondary to finding it in him. But it's almost as if Jesus knew all of these things would be hard. Because in the very next section, he moves from describing the goodness of the Lord to talking about all of the blessings that we can receive from the Lord. And by all, I mean some. <laughs> but in wonderful contrast to the verse we were just talking about of the sorrows of those who run after another God will multiply, here Jesus begins to reflect instead on the beautiful blessings enjoyed by those who seek the Father. He begins his exploration with verse 5. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. I love this because it ties together like Old and New Testament imagery, and it's really great. Um, and we'll get into that. Jesus is speaking of more than just sustenance here, more than just food and drink. And this image, this chosen portion of this cup, this actually points back to Deuteronomy. When God the Father is talking to Israel before they've gone to the conquest of Canaan, he's laying out this uh, the system of sacrifices that will ultimately be fulfilled in Christ, the, ways, the means by which the people of God are holy, which Christ has covered for us. But in that, he also talks about 
the inheritance of the different people of the land, and by that, the different tribes. And every tribe, in, uh, every tribe of Israel is given land to work and to keep and to provide their, themselves with food and sustenance, except for the Levites. The Levites are told, no. Instead, you are going to get your food and your drink from the sacrifices that the people are going to bring to God. And you are going to remember every time that you eat and drink that I have given you the chosen portion of the sacrifice. I have given you the cup of the sacrifice. And so every time you eat, you will know that I don't just provide for you physically, but I provide for you spiritually, and I provide for you abundantly, because you're not just getting some part of that cow or some part of that ram. You are getting the chosen portion. Jesus takes this image, and he rightly sees that ultimately it is the Father himself who is the chosen portion. It is the Father in his presence, in his goodness to us. And Jesus delights in that. And this is the blessing of the Lord. In the Father, we can be fully satisfied, both physically and spiritually, because he gives himself to us. And this imagery of uh, if Deuteronomy inheritance isn't done, because... <clears throat> I think I wrote it up here. Can you switch slides here? Yes. And one more. There we go. So, also in Deuteronomy, regarding the same thing, God specifically says of the Levites, you shall have no inheritance in their land, neither shall you have any portion among them. Next slide. I am your portion and your inheritance among the people of Israel. Jesus picks this up again in the next verse when he says, the lines have fallen from me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. What could be more beautiful, more pleasant, than to know that the Father has given himself to us and promised to provide for us? You know, the, the lines falling in pleasant places, this is an imagery of boundary lines. But these boundary lines aren't for land, in our case. These boundary lines are the inheritance that we have in the Father through Jesus Christ. Jesus, in the middle of his suffering, finds peace and joy because he knows that he can depend on the Father. He loves and cares for us now. And at the end of days, we will enter into the inheritance that Peter, in 1 Peter, describes as imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for us. And because of that, we can rejoice with even now with a joy that Peter says is inexpressible and filled with glory. This is the blessing of the Father. In him, we have peace in our circumstances, both now and for eternity because he is our inheritance. And not only can we be fully satisfied, feel peace in our current circumstances, and have hope for the future, I feel like one of those infomercials where it's like, but wait, there's more. <laughs> Call now. And you too, yeah. Um, but we can also receive counsel and wisdom from Adonai himself, from our personal father. Verse seven says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also, my heart instructs me. I was thinking about the walls recently when I was uh, listening to this because you guys had a couple of sleepless nights recently. <laughs> and I feel like we've all had sleepless nights at some point. Um, and honestly, I hate them. I was thinking about that a little bit this week and realizing that I would choose physical pain over sleeplessness. It's, it feels like such a waste of time because I know what I should be doing, my body knows what it wants, and for some reason my mind just is racing in anxious circles. I've had uh, two sleepless nights this past eight months, I think, where I slept about an hour max. Um, I feel like 
that could be a flex except for all the parents in here. So definitely not. <laughs> uh, but the first night, I didn't really do much. I watched television and read books and woke up, not woke up, got up from watching television, reading books the next morning, just about as tired and anxious as before. Uh, but the second night, the Spirit helped me to turn to the Lord in that. Um, and that was actually when I started learning more about Psalm 16, um, and specifically regarding, <laughs> regarding the, connect, the connection to the, the Levites in our inheritance, because this was a promise made by the Father to the Levites, to, to the priests. But First Peter calls us, the believers, a nation of priests, and that connects this promise of the Levites to a promise to us and to all the saints, which is beautiful. But the Lord gives us counsel, even in sleepless nights that feel like a waste of time. And sometimes he's the only one that can give us counsel in sleepless nights that feel like a waste of time. But when I think about Jesus receiving counsel from the God, from the Father, I think about how throughout his ministry he went off to pray, to seek peace and to find joy in the presence of the Father, to be refreshed by the counsel from God in some pretty trying circumstances at times. And when I think about Jesus suffering, I think about his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he asked the Lord, he pleaded for another way besides crucifixion. And it's a hard thing to say, but even as the Father sent angels to strengthen Jesus, the Father's counsel was that the cross was the only way. That was the counsel of the Lord to Jesus. And Jesus accepted that counsel, trusting in the goodness of the Father. And he accepted the Father's will and he rejoiced in it, for Hebrews tells us that it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. <laughs> and we know that part of that joy was the delight that he has in the saints. But this is the blessing of the Father. In him, we have access to encouraging counsel and wisdom from the mind of God himself, even in suffering. Lastly, in talking of the blessings of the Father, we come to verse 8. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. This is hard because I feel like a lot of things shake me and I feel shaken more, more often than I have in the past. Um, I know that there was a very real uh, sense in which most of you guys know I put a wedding in front of me last year and that fell apart and that shook me. And that was what was at my right hand. And that was what I was depending on. And I was shaken. I was shook. That's what I should say. That's what the kids say. <clears throat> but there are so many things that we can put in front of us. And the only thing that will not shake us is the love of the Father and the access that we have to him and putting him at our right hand. I, when I think about that, and when I think about, again, Jesus uses here, Lord, Adonai, emphasizing that personal relationship, I think about the house that I grew up in. Um, because there was, this is important, you guys need to know the geography of my house. Because there was my sister's room, and there was a bathroom, and there was the kitchen, and there was my parents' room, and there was my brother's room. And at night, there's the living room and the dining room, and a little, like, uh, this was in Burkina, so we had a, uh, an oil uh, lamp there, and there was the darkness of night with a flickering oil lamp. And all that, I want to paint the picture of there was a corridor of terror 
between me and the bathroom at nighttime. <laughs> and so I would wake up at night and I would need to go. <laughs> and I would lie there racked with emotional and physical and spiritual turmoil as I uh, wrestled with myself and the world and the God who left me in this terrible circumstance. And at some point there would be a breaking point and I would do one of three things. I would leap off my bed and I would send it. <laughs> I would sprint to the bathroom. I would come back, jumping on my bed, dodging the monsters of my mind. Second one is I would call out for help and either wake up my brother in the room or my parents in the room next door. My sister never woke up. I see you, Esther. <laughs> um, or lastly, I would perform the sacred duty of all children everywhere, much to my parents' dismay. <laughs> if you're parents, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> But here's the thing, the moment that my brother or my mom or my dad came and helped me and walked me to the bathroom, I was no longer afraid. Their presence, the presence of someone I knew and trusted, beat back the monsters of my mind. And that's what the Father offers to us. It is Jesus' personal and very relationship with the Father, very real relationship with the Father, whom he trusts that is the reason why he can remain unafraid and unshaken in times of trouble. The Father offers that same trusted relationship to us, that same love and affection through Jesus Christ, that same security to us and to all who take refuge in him. Go to him with your fears. Go to him with your sorrows. Go to him with your suffering and find rest and peace that you've never known. He's the only one who can offer that to you. Go to him and find joy that's what Jesus did. And this is the blessing of the Father. In him we have affection, love, and security because he is our Father and we are his children and he strengthens us. And if he is at your right hand, you will not be shaken. Jesus believes in the goodness of the Father because he understood and recognized the blessings of the Father. How can we also remember and meditate on these blessings in our lives? We sometimes refer to this as gospeling each other <clears throat> or preaching the gospel to ourselves. And that's so critical. Emmaus, you have to believe that Jesus delighted in you. I have to believe that Jesus delighted in me because the Father delighted in you. And, he, the, and Jesus died and rose again to bring you into the presence of the Father so that you also might know true joy. Think about that. Meditate on that and draw near to the God who brought you near. And with that, we come to our final topic, which is the presence of the Father. And this is my favorite part of the psalm, because we see Jesus, who started off as talking about, he said, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. And now he has meditated on the goodness of the Lord. He has meditated on the blessings of the Lord, and he bursts out into joy. In the next verse, he says, Therefore my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. What happened to Jesus? He hasn't stopped suffering. He hasn't forgotten his suffering. But because he remembers the character of his father, because he remembers that trusted relationship, because he knows that these things are true, he finds joy. <laughs> my whole being rejoices. He remembered the goodness of the Father, and he remembered the blessings of the Father. But he hasn't forgotten his suffering. And we know that because he says, my flesh also dwells secure. 
Now I know in Hebrew, this is poetic. There's like this threefold presentation of the whole being going on here. You've got my heart is glad, whole being rejoices, flesh also dwells secure, and it's a description of the fullness of the person. Like everything about Jesus is secure and rejoicing. But also my flesh also dwells secure. That's straight up ominous. Why in the middle of joy would you be talking about the security of your flesh? And we all know, and Jesus knows. We see this reason in the very, we see the reason for this in the very next verse when he says, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. Jesus knows he is going to die. And not just that, but Jesus knows that he is going to die publicly and shamefully and painfully. This is the verse that Peter quotes in Acts and applies to Jesus. This is why we know that Psalm 16 is about Jesus. This is why Jesus calls out to the Father for preservation. He knows that the path he is on, the path of trusting in the goodness of God, remembering the blessings of God, humbly trusting and submitting to his Father, this path will lead to his death. But do you remember the, psalm, the secret of Psalm 16? Jesus knows it. He knows that he can have joy even in his suffering because of the Father's love for him. He knows that the goodness of the Father is perfect. He knows that the blessings of the Father are abundant. He knows that the heart of his Father is pure and that his Father's love for him is so powerful that death can't stop it. He knows that his path to death is actually his path to life. And on the other side of that is eternal joy in the presence of the Father. And he says it in verse 11. He says, you make known to me the paths of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Do you believe this, Emmaus? I don't think I always do. Because if I believed it, do you believe that the path to life that you are on in Christ is going to take you through death? Do you believe that the path to death will bring you into life? And if you do believe that, and that the Christian walk is full of these little deaths, and for some people, big deaths, why would you not turn to the joy of the Father? That's the only reason Jesus got through. He's suffering. He knows he's going to die, and what's the only thing that gave him strength in it? He looked at the goodness of the Lord. He looked and remembered the blessings of the Lord. He came into the presence of the Lord that he would be able to do this thing for us because of his delight for us. If your path to death is path to life, the only way that's going to happen is if you actually sink into the joy that you have in the Father and understand this peace that you have with Jesus and this love. And when we do that, when we move from death back to life, then we know the absolute fullness of joy that comes from the presence of the Lord in being in his presence. And I want to leave you with uh, just a quote from C.S. Lewis from uh, his book, <clears throat> um, Mere Christianity. He says, If you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you want to be wet, you must get into the water. If you want joy, power, peace, eternal life, you must get close to or even into the thing that has them. If you want joy, go to the Father. 
come into his presence and be close to the source of all joy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would make known to us this joy, that you would change our hearts. Lord, this is not something that we can conceptualize on our own or through our own efforts gain, but you have opened up the way to this joy through Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection, through the delight that he had in his saints, and you have given us that same access to you that he has. Father, I pray that you would work in our hearts to take advantage of that access I pray that we would come to know your love in peace and affection and security, the fullness of joy that can only be found in your presence. And I pray that we would rejoice in that as we go on from here and meditate on, meditate on it throughout this week. In Jesus' name, amen.